You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Good morning, church. Prayerfully, you are uh, excited to see a little sunlight out there. It's always good to see the sun. And uh, I used to work on my tan in L.A., now I get to work on it in London, England. So that's a good thing. We are uh, we're excited to have a lot of you visiting for uh, our Bring a Neighbor Day. We're excited you've come to visit us and be with us this morning. And we, uh, we just pray that you feel loved, you feel encouraged, uh, you feel inspired today. And, uh, you know, we, we just want to be a family. As Colton kind of highlighted, you know, your neighbor is anybody that's next to you. It isn't just the guy that lives next door. Uh, but everyone is to be your neighbor. And uh, truly this world needs so much more love. And that's why we believe in uh, the mission to evangelize the world. Uh, to have disciples, to have members of every racial background, every socioeconomic background. Uh, we, we, I, I look around, I see a few Nigerians out there. I see, I see a few Irish out there. I see, I see a few French out there. Uh, I see some Ghanaians out there. Uh, there. There's even a German out there. And uh, just highlighting that God wants us all to love one another. That we are all to be neighbors. Please turn to John chapter 3. As we get into the Word of God today, we are uh, we are we are excited. You know, uh, you know, this this week was going to be the day we started our series on the Book of Judges. But I said, you know, it's our Bring Your Neighbor Day. We've got to have a, a message that's more appropriate. So we will start the Book of Judges next week. Uh, but in John chapter three, uh, Jesus says something here that's very very powerful that can be breezed past if one doesn't dig in. In John chapter three. Starting in verse 16. He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do I have any believers in Jesus Christ this morning? He says right here, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will not perish. Instead, you will have eternal life. That means you're going to live forever. He says you don't have to worry about all the carbs and everything when you get to heaven. You can eat whatever you want. It doesn't matter. You're going to live forever. You'll have eternal life. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And I mean, that, that passage is so powerful. You know, we're, we're excited about our Bring Your Neighbor Day. And you know, I, I got a chance to share my faith and try to invite as many people to this event. And, and you know, it was interesting the things that I was hearing. Everyone said, well, you know, you know, you Christian, you, you, you guys just want to judge the world. You just want to judge us. You, you're just going to, I don't want to come to your church. You're just going to be down on me. I can't live as moral and awesome a life as you. And then I got open about all my weaknesses and all my sins. And I didn't want him to talk to my wife or anything like that there. Because that would, you know, he probably even would have found out a few other things there. <laughs> that I fall short. Uh, but I said, you know, as, as, as a church, we, 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 we believe in loving one another. We have a lot of, lot of weaknesses. And, and we are not better than just because we believe in Jesus Christ. It is nothing good in us. It is the grace of God in us. That's the only thing that is good. God's grace. And are having a relationship with him. But it, it, it made me think about the view of God. As I spoke to so many people this week. And so many people were so afraid thinking that the church, thinking that God is about condemnation. Yet the Bible says God came to save the world. That he didn't come to, to, to just condemn you. To be down on you. But he wanted to save you. You say, I believe in Jesus. I'm a true disciple. That means you are saved. That should fire some of you on up. Right here he says, listen, God came to save the world. Now, if God came to save the world, that means something very, very simple, very basic here that we see in the Bible. If God came to save the world, it means the world is lost without God. The world is lost and needs to be saved. God didn't come to condemn the world but to save the world. God's heart isn't down on you. God's heart is up on you. God believes in you. And He wants to save you. If you've come for the first time, this could be the call of God through the Word of God. 
that God brought you to church, because, not because he wants to be down on you and point out everything that you aren't, but to say, I want to save you. I love you. I want you to be with me in heaven forever. Is that not encouraging? Yeah. I mean, you read that, you go, wow. Eternal life. Being able to live eternally with our creator. God. Turn to Genesis chapter 19. This is God's heart for the world, which is the title of our lesson. God's heart for the world. See, God's heart isn't to condemn the world. The world stands condemned already. The world stands condemned already. And we got to go back to the basics. We got to go back to the beginning, the Genesis. And we're excited, of course. Our first baptism this year was a young lady by the name of Genesis. And, uh, you know, that was encouraging. She, she's always just going after it. You know, she's just got this steady faith about her that's going after saving so many different souls and reaching out and sharing her faith with other individuals that really, truly need to hear about the Lord. And I, th- I think the young people are truly going to be our leaders. And uh, I'm so proud of Colton and Mandy Ron, how they've done a great job with our campus ministry right there. Amen. And, uh, you know, uh, young Matthew, who was baptized just a few weeks after uh, Genesis, I mean, Matthew, I mean, he's got this look on his face like, I want to do something for the Lord. He comes, he's got, no one told him to put his tie on, but he's got his tie and his shirt on. He's like, I want to do something. But God has saved me, and I want to save people. I want to save people. Check out Genesis chapter 19. We come to a dark time amongst God's people. Where things weren't so rosy, dare we say. Things weren't so awesome. And oftentimes we can read the Bible and go, okay, well, that's how it was then. But if you look deep into the world we live in, that's how it is now. And so, of course, through Abraham, there is an incredible prayer that Abraham has. In Genesis 18, he prays for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he prays fervently that God would, 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 would hear his prayer and not condemn his cousin Lot. And of course, in Genesis 18, it teaches that Abraham actually moved God in prayer. God had a purpose. God was going to do something. God was going to condemn everybody because he found no more. But Abraham moved the heart of God. Do you realize you can move the heart of God? You can change God's mind with your prayers. The prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. And Abraham was powerful. He was effective. He moved the heart of God. And he moved the heart of God to send a couple of angels to preach a message to the people. And so we pick it up in Genesis chapter 19. We find out a few things about where things were at. Verse 1. It says the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. That's just not a good place to be. Here he is, the man of God, sitting in the city of in the gateway of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Of course, the city was known for its impurity, for its lust. And he, being a man of God, is just in the wrong part of town. When he saw them, he got up to meet them. He bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night. And go your way early in the morning. No, they answered. We will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly, they didn't go with him, and they entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of Sodom and Gomorrah, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot. Where are the young and the old? Or is it, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Wow. I mean, can you imagine this, this picture? These men just forcing this, this issue of, of homosexuality on them and say, bring them out, we want to have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them. Shut the door behind him. He said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do 
what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. I mean, Lot, you see from the beginning, made a lot of compromises. This isn't necessarily the best solution. Here's my daughters. <laughs> you see his compromise on the word of God. Get out of our way, they replied. And they said, this fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play judge. We'll treat you worse than them. Wow. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. They struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness. So they couldn't even find the door. The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons or daughters, anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry of the Lord against its people is so great, he has sent us here to destroy it. I mean, things were so dark at that time that the outcry went to God. That God heard people crying out in their sin, crying out in their pain, crying out in their darkness. God heard it. And if God heard it back then, God hears it right now. God hears the people of London, England crying out about where their marriage is at. He hears those prayers. He hears the wives crying out about their kids and the darkness they're involved in. He hears the prayers of the young men who are crying out because they have no purpose for their life. He hears the, the cries. Why? Because God came to save the world. That's his heart. And here it says the outcry was so great that it went up to the almighty God because of the darkness in the land. Verse 14. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were placed to Mary's daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy this city. Point number one. God's heart towards ma mankind. God's ultimate heart towards mankind is to save the world. That is God's heart. He wants to save the world. Not to condemn the world, but to save it. Because the world already stands condemned. Because the outcry is so wicked. You know, I read, I read this, this, this week. It, it, just, it just shook me up, to be quite honest. I, you know, I was thinking about what, we were, what we're going to talk about and everything. And, and I picked up the newspaper and... Uh, I just read a very disturbing story. Uh, it was a story of a five-year-old boy who the paper says is trapped in the wrong gender. It says the little boy has become one of the youngest children in London to be diagnosed by the NHS. Not by the, by the word of God, but by the NHS as being trapped in the wrong gender. Zach Avery has insisted on wearing girls' clothing since the age of three. He's now five and assessed with having what's called gender identity disorder. After word parents, Teresa, 32, and Darren, 41, sought medical help. They should have sought God. Miss Avery explained her son was abnormal. He was an abnormal little boy. Thomas the Tank was not something that inspired him, but he instead became inspired by Dora the Explorer, a television program aimed at young girls. She said, he has turned around to me and several times and said, Mom, I'm a girl. I thought he was just going through a phase. But it got even more serious and he would be very upset. Initially, Zach's parents believed he was autistic, but several months, a psychologist diagnosed him with GID. Now at four years old, he attends a local primary school where the toilets have been turned gender neutral to support him. That's happening right now, right now. That's the world we live in, right now. Satan has, a, Satan has a plan. Satan wants to destroy the family. He wants to destroy morality. He wants to destroy it with all kinds of greed, all kinds of impurity, all kinds of false teaching. And that's what Satan has done, not only all over the world, but right here in London, England. I believe Satan also loves teenagers. He's going after the young. 
It was in my teen years that I really started getting involved in all kinds of impurity, gross impurity. Sadly, it went all the way into my adult years. And sadly, even as a young Christian, I fell into pornography. And looking at adult websites. Looking at wickedness. But it was during my teen years, I really, I really, I really started to wonder what my purpose is. Wonder why am I here. Wonder, wonder about myself. Now a true medical fact is they, they teach that teens have the biggest growth spurt mentally from the age of 14 to 19. The frontal lobe of the teenage brain grows the most during those years. It's also noted that that's the time that young people are the most idealistic. That's a medical fact. And so we see that in the Bible, Satan went after not only the old people, but also the young people. We need to go after the young people as well. I believe they're going to be the leaders for this world. Here's what MTV, who's going after young people, had to say. The strongest appeal you can make to young people is emotionally. If you can get their emotions going, make them forget logic, then you've got them. That's what MTV quoted. That's what they said. According to a book on Satanism, this is endorsed by the National Criminal Justice Task Force, the occult-related ritualistic crimes, hardcore Satanism, its fastest-growing subculture is among teenagers. Manifest in goth and darkness. Satan loves teenagers. I believe they're impressionable. 90% of the people that are involved in Satanism, according to this, this, this book here, are young people. And oftentimes it involves homosexuality. Homosexuality. Now, in God's eyes, sin is sin. God doesn't look at homosexuality any worse than he looks at stealing, greed, or arrogance, or pride. Are you with me here? But I'm just trying to paint a picture of how dark the world we live in. How dark the world we live in. You know, I graduated from high school about 1991. And one of my groups that I used to love is the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I love the Red Hot Chili I know that. I know that may challenge some of your faith right now. But, but I actually did love the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I thought they were kind of cool. I thought that Anthony Colitis was kind of cool. He had the, I didn't have the long hair like that. I had the long Jerry Curl. The Jerry Curls are of the devil. I, don't, I haven't found a scripture on it, but... I don't know how my mom talked me into that hairstyle. But I had that Jerry Curl. It was terrible. Um... You know, I would listen to Red Hot Chili Peppers. It was, it was a great group. And uh, I'll never forget uh, watching MTV. And, of course, the Red Hot Chili Peppers got up there to receive their award for, for, for their song. And this is true. You can go, you can go look it up. When they got up there, they, they, they said, first of all, we want to thank Satan. We want to thank Satan. Before I was a disciple, a Christian, that rocked me. And it made me go, wow, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? You guys with me here? God wants to save the world. Let's look at another passage before we get back to Genesis. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter chapter 1. I've since renounced the television. Because sometimes television can be hellavision. Especially in now nowadays. Doesn't mean you're going to sin or, or going to hell if you have a TV. Amen. You just got to be be careful of what you see on that thing. In First Timothy chapter one, Paul is writing to his young prodigy, and uh, he's trying to encourage Timothy. And he says this here in uh, chapter one because he's he's so in touch with who he was as a preacher. He's so in touch with who he was before he was a preacher. He says this in 1 Timothy chapter uh, chapter 1 and verse 15. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. He says, you can't, you can't partially accept this. It deserves full acceptance. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He says, Jesus came to save the world. But check this out. He says, 
Jesus Christ Jesus came in order to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And the church said, do you believe you're the worst? See, Paul's heart was, listen, I am the worst. There's no one more. He killed Christians. There's no one more evil, more wicked, and more dark than me. No one. But I became a Christian. That's what he's saying to Timothy. He says, I was the worst. If there was someone who didn't believe, it was me. If there was someone who was hard-hearted, it was me. If there was someone who didn't really, it didn't match up to, it was me. But guess what? I became, I became a Christian, Paul says to Timothy. And I am the worst. What he was saying is, Timothy, if I can become a Christian, anyone can become a Christian. See, oftentimes as Christians, we don't believe people can become disciples because we don't believe we're the worst sinner. Do you believe you're the worst? I know for me, it is, it is by the grace of God that I get to stand before you and preach the word of God. I, 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 I am the worst. I, 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 and I, I'm not just saying, I, I am the worst. I've had a brother say, bro, I don't know how you, how you, you, you said something that really hit my heart. I go, yeah, because I, yeah, it hit your heart because I, you know, I probably thought it just like you did. And so God uses imperfect men with his perfect plan. Do you believe you are the worst? Or do you look at others as worse than you? Look at chapter 2. Chapter 2, same book. It says in verse 1, I urge them, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, even your neighbors. You got to pray for your neighbors. You got to pray for you. Sometimes they may need to pray for you. <laughs> but he says, you need to pray for everyone. He says, for kings and all in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And the church said, right there it says, God wants to save everybody. That, that's God's heart. God's heart isn't to condemn. That's, Satan has put a message out there that the church and Christian, we just want to be down. No, no, no. God's heart is to save the world. And if that's God's heart, that should be the heart of anyone who claims to follow God. Anyone who claims to follow God. You guys still with me here? Yeah. Let's turn back to Genesis chapter 19. All right. God's heart towards mankind is to save the world. Amen. If that's God's heart, that's got to be our heart. I want to share a quick story here. I want to ask a question before I even share it. If that's God's heart, is that your heart? If that's God's heart, to save the world with the gospel, is that your heart? To save the world with the gospel. Or is it burdensome? Or is it your heart? I believe the world is very dark and, you know, sadly... Sadly, I found out that, of course, we have our church in Los Angeles, California. And one of the most fruitful regions of Los Angeles has been the Orange County region. And in Orange County, they're, they're, they're down there. They're, they're reaching out. They're sharing their faith. They're preaching the word. But sadly, I just found out that they, they, they passed a, a, a law that condemns studying the Bible in your home. In fact, you will be charged $600 if you have prayer or Bible study in your home if you've not gotten a permit. That's what they're doing in Orange County now. You want a personal Bible study? Oh, that's going to cost 600 bucks. And if you haven't paid, you don't have a permit, you can't do that. You can't do it. That's the world we live in. Where Satan is dismantling the word of God, the plan of God to save the world. But in Acts chapter 5, the teachers, hey, you, we've got to be in submission to the authorities. But when the authorities tell us that we can't submit to the word of God, we've got to submit to the word of God before we submit to the authorities. Are you with me here? And of course, the brothers and sisters down there, they've been breaking the law. But upholding God's word. Are you with me there? 
It says on Sunday, the OC region of the church was super encouraged to have Raul Moreno visiting from the mission field. Of course, Raul leads our church in Brazil right now. Raul inspired, uh, presided over the communion and inspired the church as he preached in Spanish. Ricky Chalinor, he's a young man about 20 years old, about getting ready to go lead a church, 21, 22 years old. Uh, Ricky Chalinor preached a powerful sermon at our English service, and he and his wife, immediately after the service, because of home Bible studies, baptized four students from the Fuller, four, four students from Fullerton College. They also had a very moving restoration in the Irvine sector. As Francis joined their group directly from the ICOC. She shared with tears how thankful she was to be restored to her first love and to do the thing she did at first. Finally, at our leaders meeting, Chip Moody got on one knee and asked Ashley Pearson, the daughter of Pat and Pam Bouye of South Central, to marry him, and she said yes. <laughs> away the dream to evangelize the world in a generation. He wants to take that dream away. That, that, that's his heart. He, he, he doesn't, if he can take away the dream to save the world in one generation, what he takes away is urgency. He takes away urgency. And I don't believe the greatest lie from Satan is that there is no God. I don't believe the greatest lie is that there is no Satan. The greatest lie is there is no hurry. You got all the time in the world to wait around and get your life together. You know, it was so sad this morning. I came to church and I spent about 20 minutes out there talking to the officers, talking to the officers. And what was so sad was a young man had went out to party and have a good time and was stabbed to death in the wee hours of the morning right next door. A murder. Right next door. I don't think he said, tonight I'm going to go out and I, I may die. I don't think he said that. No one is promised tomorrow. But even those who are saved, everyone is promised to die. And it makes a difference as to how you live your life. Are you guys still with me here? Genesis chapter 19, verse 12. It says the two men sent to Lot. Do you have any more? Anyone else here? Sons and laws. Sons or daughters. Or anyone else in the city who belongs to you. Get them out of here. We're going to destroy this place. The outcry of the Lord to the Lord against his people is so great. He has sent us here to destroy it. So Lot went out and he spoke to his son-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry out, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. So he, he comes to his sons-in-law and he has a message. The city will be destroyed. You need to, to listen to the word of God. And we understand, God, God will destroy every... The, the world we live in will be destroyed. We can make a mockery of reaching out and sharing our faith. As if it's just some ritualistic thing to do. But in this case, Lot was sharing his faith. The world will be destroyed. And look at the heart of the son-in-laws. It says, after he says, hurry, get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy it. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. This is a passage that highlights God's judgment on mankind. And sadly, some people see God's judgment as a joke. God's judgment is no joke. It is no laughing matter. It is no happenstance thing that you even see people putting it out. Oh, is he, oh he's a fire and brimstone preacher. We need to talk about love and God will, judgment will come. I mean, I'm sure that young man would not have wanted to hear how, how he would have wanted to hear, listen, you, you, you need to get out of this place. And get right with the Lord. If he could come back right now, he would look every individual in the eye and say to you, get right with the Lord. That's what he would say to you. Yet we live in a time where the judgment of God is, is a joke. It's funny. 
what the Bible teaches, it is true. It is true. Do you fear God? Do you fear God? I fear God. Judgment will come on you if you don't fear God. And judgment comes in all kinds of different ways. I know for me and my wife, I know, you know, we, we, I've been married to my, my, my lovely wife for about eight or nine years here. It's awesome. But we have this thing where, 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 where I kind of do the cooking. You know, I make the meal and then Michelle kind of does the clean. You know, I'll, I'll make the little chicken, get it going there, get the rice going, and then Michelle will do the, you know. And because, you know, God has blessed us, we, we are now pregnant and we're with child. So that's, that's encouraging. We got another one coming. And so uh, th- th- there's been a lot, a, lot, a lot on my wife there, and, and I need to help out with the cleaning right there. And I know that if I leave those dishes in there, judgment is coming. It is coming. It's going to manifest in this, this beautiful woman with these eyes that look at you. And she looks at me, and we got this running joke called the crazy eyes. Michelle gives me the crazy eyes sometimes. She didn't say anything. She just looks at me, and her eyeballs literally start shaking like this. I just, it's just cool. It's the judgment of God right there. I get in there. I clean those dishes. I clean those dishes. I don't want judgment coming on me with those crazy eyes. I don't, I don't want it to get me. I don't want it to get me. You know, for those of us who are true disciples, true Christians, you are saved. Can you say amen to that? Not you're going to be saved. You are saved. This isn't something that's going to happen. No, if you die today, you would go to heaven. You are saved. Amen. But God's judgment is no joke. It's no joking matter. Even though you can be... Now, the question's got to be asked. If you're not right with God, if you die today, what would happen? What would happen? And that isn't a joke. That's a very serious matter. That's a very serious matter. Are you guys with me here? But I, I really believe that God allows a judgment to come on you. He allows a discipline to come on you when you are not obedient to His Word. Are you with me there? Turn to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. That's about the middle of your, your Bible right before the New Testament. In Malachi, God's people were doing something in their relationship with God. And God allowed a judgment to come on them. Oftentimes, when you look at the Old Testament, God would let His people fall into the enemies, to the enemy hands, and He would allow the enemies to defeat His own people just to teach them a lesson. And this is, this is what happens when, when teams like Arsenal try to beat Man United and everything like that. You know, that's, that's what happens right there, you know. And, you know, teams like Chelsea try to go against Man United or, you know, I don't... Oh, boy. Let's get back to the Word of God. Okay. Malachi chapter 3. Check this out. In verse 6. He says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time your forefathers, you have turned away from me, my decrees, and not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. (laughs) Judgment. (laughs) The whole nation of you. Wow. The entire nation, all of God's people were under a curse because of their love for money. Says, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. See, they were giving part of their, 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 their financial sacrifice to God. They weren't bringing all of it. They were giving part of it. Says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. You know, it's so interesting. In the Bible, God is always saying, don't test me, don't test me, don't test me, don't test me. You better not test me, don't test me. It's actually God who's always doing the testing. If you haven't noticed, testing your faith in the marriage. Testing your faith in singledom. Just waiting for that wife. You're trusting the Lord right there. Amen. Come on, Jamil. But the funny thing is God says, test me. I want you to test me with your finances. Says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you won't have enough room for it. He says, I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops. He says, when you don't bring the whole tithe, you get pests that come in and devour the crops. Little pesky things. He says, and vines 
in your free, uh, he says, and the vines in your field will not cast their fruit. He says, you stop seeing fruit in your life when you're not giving what God has given you. He says, then all nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. All mighty. You know, one of the things we get to show God for our appreciation for the salvation is a weekly sacrifice, a weekly tithe as a church. Now, God doesn't need your money. God owns all the money. He doesn't need your 15 pounds or your 20 pounds or whatever you give. That isn't, God isn't that weak sauce. He's a pretty awesome God. He's pretty powerful. He's pretty incredible. He, he doesn't need that. What God needs is your heart. And money is attached to the heart. People, oh, oh trust me, you, you, you get into it with people and, and, and it's, it's, it's the heart and money. They, they get attached. They get attached. And yet he says here, a curse will come on you if you rob God. And you don't bring the whole tithe, your whole sacrifice to the Lord. It's a way of God's judgment coming on you because you aren't showing him that you are truly appreciative of the grace of God. It's the grace of God that motivates us. It's the grace of God as to the reason why we're here. It's the grace of God as to the reason why we want to evangelize the world. Because we feel we're the worst of sinners and God has forgiven us. What? When you, when you feel that way, you want to give to God. It's not this begrudging thing where you're... Where, where, where's that in the Bible? We can't be in love with money. Not as a people. Not as a church. That's a way God can bring a discipline on you when you love money are you guys with me here God can bring his judgment as I said earlier in marriage where husbands aren't leading their wives and leading doesn't mean just telling her what to do and just kind of like that that's tyranny that's not leadership leading is being able to to truly cultivate an environment where she can speak to you about what you're not but she comes under submission. You know, I always tell the sisters, you know, I remember being back in Los Angeles, a, a sister said, you know, I can't stand my husband. He's such a derelict. I said, well, sis, you married him. So what's that say about you? Well, he's not a derelict, but he just needs something. He needs to work on a few things. You know, she kind of took it back real quick right there. In the church, we got to take care of our wives. We've got to lead our wives. And wives got to submit to our husbands. That's what the Bible teaches. If the wife is leading the marriage, God will bring a judgment on you. God will bring a judgment on you. It's called an unhappy marriage. <laughs> That's the judgment. You got a marriage, you're just, you're just miserable. I want you to ask yourself, how are the roles going in your marriage? Are you someone that, 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 that your husband loves to lead? You, you so support him and his weaknesses and faults. And we as husbands, we got a lot of weaknesses and faults, do we not? Yeah. Right, Colton? Yeah. <laughs> See, Colton agrees with me on that. He's with me, heart and soul. He agrees with me. Sean agrees with me as well. Sean agrees with me. sisters who love the Lord, we, we don't want that judgment coming. So we want to support our, our husbands, right? Sandra agrees with me on that one, right Sandra? Two thumbs up. And Mandy agrees with that one, right? There you go. See, we've got to have that structure in our marriages or else God will bring a judgment. You know, for the singles, we have great, you have great relationships with your brother and sister. But you don't see boyfriend and girlfriend in the Bible. You notice that? Why? There's no such thing as boyfriend and girlfriend. In the Old Testament, she was your sister, your mother, your cousin, or your wife. Or grandma. And you're not going to look grandma in the eye and say something kind of Mr. Smooth right here. You, you, not my grandma. My grandma, whew, she had that wooden spoon. She, she beat the trash out of you. Just to be a purity in the dating relationships. We've got to bring a judgment on you. Some of the singles. If you don't love God more than you love wanting to be married, God won't give you a, a, a wife. Because yeah. you'll become God 
or she'll become God. And God is jealous. He doesn't want you cheating on him. He doesn't want you spending being committed five days a week and then on weekends you go out with some other God. He doesn't like that. He's a jealous God. If we're not pure in our dating relationships, if we're not pure in our interaction, God will bring a judgment. And it is no joke. Amen? Amen. Genesis chapter 19, verse 15. You guys still with me here? It says, with the coming of the dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or, we'll, or they'll be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hand of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city. For the Lord was merciful to him. I mean, that's, that's God's mercy right there. Sometimes you just need the hand of God to lead you. You don't even have the faith. You don't even have the strength to lead yourself. You need the hand of God through men reaching out to to lead you to salvation. I mean, when I became a Christian, I was so weak. I've been brought up knowing the Bible, but not obeying it. And I just needed people to take me by the hand and teach me what does it mean to seek God? What does it mean to have a relationship? I just needed to be led by the hand, just like Lot. Says as they brought them out. One of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back. And don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountain or you'll be swept away. In the Old Testament, God had his physical people. In the New Testament, God has the same people, but they are a spiritual people. In the Old Testament, they were a physical nation. In the New Testament, they are a spiritual nation. Are you with me here? And Abraham is our father of faith. And right here, because of the prayer of Abraham, in Genesis chapter 18, God sends that avenging angel uh, to, 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 to save the only righteous people at that time. It wasn't a bunch of righteous people. It was only a few that were saved. There was only one group that was called the church and called out of the world. And the word church means called out. And God was calling them out. Ek means uh, kalo, or, or ekklesia is the Greek for church. And ek means called. And kalo means out. Called out. So this was the group that was called out. This small group right here. Wasn't two groups, wasn't three groups. And of course, Abraham was righteous because of the marriage unit. The marriage unit with the wife, he would populate. And in the New Testament, the Bible teaches make disciples, populate the world. And so you go, okay, well, in the Old Testament, he had his physical nation, his physical church. What's it look like in the New Testament? What's that mean for us today? How does this apply to us? Today, what should God's church, what should be the priority of God's church today? I'm glad you asked that question. Luke chapter 19. Check this out. In Luke 19 verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Now, of course, Jesus starts building this relationship with Zacchaeus, but he doesn't start building a relationship just because they like football. Or they want to share a kebab together. No, he starts building a relationship because he really believes Zacchaeus is lost and he wants to save him. And it simply says the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. This is the heart of God to save the world. This is his heart, and this should be our heart. And so this was the purpose of Jesus' physical presence. When he was physically present as a, a physical body, he, he went reaching out to people. That was his purpose. Now, what's interesting is in Romans chapter 12, it teaches that the church is the spiritual body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians, it teaches the church is the spiritual body of Christ. And in Colossians chapter 1, it teaches the church is the spiritual body of Christ. So if Christ physically, his, his heart was to seek and save the lost, what should be the body of Christ's heart? So a church that's not seeking and saving the lost is not Jesus' church. 
A church that doesn't believe the world is lost, that's not Jesus' church. Jesus believes the world is lost. Jesus Christ does. A church that won't call people to account on who's seeking and who's saving and what's going on. A church that won't, won't do that, that's not Jesus' church. Jesus' church did the same thing that Jesus Christ did. Jesus' spiritual church. They, they, we're going to seek and save the lost. You know, when you're not really reaching out, and you're not really living your purpose in that way, you can get an attitude about seeking and saving the lost. Oftentimes, because you're not doing it. <laughs> you ever been there? <laughs> Someone calls you account on something, you get defensive, and you know it's defensiveness because you just haven't been doing it. <laughs> you know? But this is the heart of the church. One man said, the church is God's appointed agency for salvation to men. It was organized for his service. And its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. From the beginning, it has been God's plan throughout his church to reflect his fullness and his holiness through outreach. The members of the church, those whom he's called out of darkness into his marvelous light, are to show forth his glory. The church is God's army. The church is God's family. The church is God's fortress. His city of refuge. He says the church is where you come when you, you just need refuge. It's not a burden. Most people look at church and say, oh, i got to go to church. What time, what time does it start? What time is it over? we got to beat the Baptist Burger King. No, it's a, it's a city of refuge. You come for, for comfort. You can be open. That's why I love our church. Because you can be open about your sin. You can be open about your shortcomings. You won't be condemned and judged. You may be called to come out of that darkness. And that's for your edification. But it's our city of refuge. Any betrayal of the church is treachery to Jesus. Treachery to him who bought mankind with the blood of his only son. Of his only son. How should we do it? How should we say, how, how do you save the world? What, what literally do you got to, glad you asked that as well. John chapter 13. John 13. A new command I give you, in verse 34. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The Bible says you've got to love one another. You gotta love one another. You gotta have relationships that aren't just your racial background. You gotta have relationships with people that aren't just your socioeconomic background. That means if you're an American, you gotta have a relationship with somebody who plays football. That means if you're a Nigerian, it's not always jello rice that you're gonna be eating. You may need to eat some pie and mash. That means if you're an Asian. And I love sushi. Yeah, come on. You may just need to hang out with the Italians and have yourself a slice of pizza. <laughs> you know the sad thing is, you go to a lot of churches, and you just see one race. That's how I was raised. That's how I was raised. My uncle, bless his heart, he put a lot in me about the Lord. He, he changed me. I wouldn't be the man I am. I am very grateful for him. To this day. My, 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 my uncle was, sadly, he, he was pro-black and hardline. He was hardline about the scriptures, but he was pro Everything was black. Everything he had to do was black. Black. Give me my black Bible. Look at the black birds in the air. I mean, everything he did was that way. He thought everything was racial. Everything was racial. No, uncle, we, we came late. That's the issue. It's not a race issue. We were actually late. Look at, look at, we go to the store. Look at, look at, the, look at the counter here. They got the black olives in a can. They got the green olives in a jar. It's racial. It's just, that's, that's, that's how I was raised. So I grew up. I said, okay. And then I looked 
in the mirror, I went, man, I'm pretty black. I don't, I don't really need to tell anybody that. I think it's kind of obvious. That's pretty black. That's why I was so awesome when I became a disciple. I had disciples that were totally different background. Totally different. Totally different for me. I needed different people in my life. So that they could point out my weaknesses and help me live a life worthy of the calling to be a true disciple and a true Christian. Do you value the different relationships? Do you love other people? Do you love people? I'm, I'm always trying to, I mean, this is, this is one of the things I, I just got to continue working on, being a, a more loving man. You know, how do we love people in the church? It's called discipling. Daily contact. Making sure we have that time to get in each other's lives and help each other live lives worthy of the calling. We've got to have daily contact. We've got to have discipling. We've got to have people that we allow into our lives. We've got to get open about what's in our lives so people can disciple you. Some people say, I'm not being discipled. Start confessing your sin. Try that one out. One person said, well, what do I disciple? What do I hold him accountable for? Well, what you do is you look at Jesus Christ, and then you look at him, and you talk about what's in, in, the, in the middle right there. So you go look at Jesus, and then, bro, let me look at you, and let me look at Jesus. Well, we got a lot to talk about there. There's a whole bunch. And you love your brother. I believe we've, we've gotten away from truly loving each other. I'm not talking about being harsh, but I'm talking about putting the relationship on the line. Where you're willing to lose the relationship because you love that individual. And you want to stay loyal to God more than you want to be loyal to the rest. You love that individual. Yeah, I had a great talk with a brother this week. And we, we just got into it over a few things. And I just laid it out. I said, brother, the Lord has put me in your life to teach and help you. And you need to submit to that. I will lead you by example. I will not call you to do anything I'm not willing to do. I will, not, I will not teach anything not out of the Word of God. And if it's in the Word of God, it's not me saying it. It's, the, it's, it's God saying it. And we had a great talk. He says, okay, bro. You, amen. But I had to put the relationship on the line. I had to love that brother. It was awesome. We had a great little connection. And it made me think about how many times people put the relationship on the line with me. And they said, you know, you may fall away because I say this to you, Michael. But you need to hear it. You need to hear it. Because it would be better for you to be offended now than to be offended on Judgment Day. We need to have that heart in the church. We need to have that heart for our friends. We even need to have that heart for our neighbors. You guys with me here? Turn to Genesis chapter 19. Let's kind of bring it home here. Let's bring it home. God has a fantastic destiny for all individuals. God has a fantastic destiny for all individuals. What's interesting about this here, when you look at Genesis 19, is the call of God. God called, called Lot to, to go to the mountain. And it simply says, we'll pick it up in verse 16. It says, when he hesitated, the man grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters, and they led him safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful. As they brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives, don't look back, don't stop anywhere in the plain, flee to the mountain, or you'll be swept away. So God tells Lot to go to what? The mountain. That's what he says, you need to go to the mountain. But Lot said, no, my Lord, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes, and... You've shown great kindness to me in sparing my life, but I can't flee to the mountain. This disaster will overtake me. I'll die. And he's just worrying about everything. Look, here's a town near enough to run to. And it is small. Let me flee to it. It's very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to them, very well, I'll grant this request. I'll not overthrow the town you speak of. But flee there quickly, because I can't do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar. By the time Lot reached Zoar, and of course Zoar means small. The sun 
had risen over the land. The Lord had rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew the cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and all those and all the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Sad. She falls away. She doesn't make it. Verse 27. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, towards all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Intense passage, is it not? You see God's contrast between Lot and Abraham. You see so many differences there. Lot's called to go to the mountain, I want to go to Zoar. Abraham's called to go to the mountain, he goes to the mountain. Not only does he go to the mountain, it says very early. He got up. Why? God had a destiny for both those men. The same call for both those men. And the Bible says, one went to the mountain, one went to Zoar. What are we talking about? Well, number one, Lot was saved. Lot was saved. And he, he saved, his, saved his kids. But what's interesting is that Zoar meaning small. And we need to get this down as a church. You can be saved as a disciple and not fulfill your destiny. Because you lack faith. Your faith is small. And instead of you going to the mountain, God calling you to do something great, you, you go to Zoar. Because it's easy, it's fast, and you can run to it, and you can visually see it. Someone told me, hey, you need to be a preacher. I could not see that for nothing. <laughs> you need to be a preacher. The last thing I wanted to be was a preacher. You should be a preacher. <sighs> I ran from the calling. I did not. I, I knew it would take everything, and all my worldliness and everything would come out, and I would have to rely on the Almighty God. That was self, selfish. And I ran from the calling. I really believe some young men and some young women have the skills to go into the ministry. You have the talents. God blesses everybody with different skills and different talents. But some God blesses with more talent. Everybody gets blessed. Everybody gets blessed. So you need to use your talents for the glory of God. And God will add to your talents. The Bible teaches. But I believe we have disciples that know God has called them into the ministry. But because your faith is small, you'll be saved in Zoar. And you'll never fulfill God's fantastic individual destiny he has for you. You know who you are. You know who you are. God needs disciples that want to raise them up. Why? The world is lost. He wants to save the world. He wants to save the world. I'm so inspired by our, our, our young brother, Daniel Goley. You know, Daniel... Satan is throwing every challenge at Daniel you could imagine. Financial challenges. Challenges at home. Challenges with his work. Challenges with his money. Challenges with changes in leadership. He was very close to some of the leadership that was here before. And me and Daniel are very close. We, we got a connection there. But he was, he was a little bit closer to... And that, that's okay. For us to have those different brothers and sisters in, in the movement that we're closer to. Amen? And Daniel saw God through it all and just said, I, I'm not going to let anything stop me from my destiny as being a disciple. And we understand what happened to him last week with the challenges. He got shipped way out to Birmingham and Daniel's here early in the morning, ready to worship with a smile on his face. You know, God needs a team ministry here. We need young men that want to stand in the gap for the Lord. That, that, that look out there and go, listen, it's awesome to be on Facebook, but we need to have our face in this book. We need some young people that are willing to preach that message. We need some young people that are willing to stand up and say, no, 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 it's not about my space, it's God's space. Whose space are you in? We need young people. Who's, who's it going to be? Or maybe you just want to stay in Zohar instead of living God's fantastic purpose for your life. You know, one brother, one brother came to me and says, you know, in, in, this, in this city, we have, we have medical challenges in this country. and we, we need a ministry that reaches out to people that have emotional and medical problems and challenges. And I just want to put on your heart, I, I want to stand in the gap. I, I want to be that man. And, you know, when my mom died, 
she had some uh, some uh, emotional challenges, some medical challenges, and she she turned to me one day. You know, we had a prayer together, and she said, "Michael, I, I feel like I'm losing my mind," and um, I had no I, I didn't know what to tell her. I just said, "Mom, all I know is that God can fix it if you if you change and become a Christian." Because she didn't really want to believe in the Word of God, and sadly, she 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 never changed her life. But I believe that moment was there to teach me that when people have those, those emotional and those, those, they, they, they need special attention. Someone who, who, who can get in there with them and love them. And it was awesome because, you know, James Morgan, he says, I, I want to lead that ministry. I want to lead that ministry. When we were back in Portland, we started what was called a Lazarus ministry. A ministry that would reach out to people that have emotional and Problems like that. Challenges like that. I don't say problems. Challenges. We all get challenges. And it's awesome. James says, I want to stand in the gap. I want to stand in the gap. And I think Dee's going to stand right next to him. Amen? (laughs) So we will start a Lazarus ministry in this church. We will start a Lazarus ministry in this church. Because God wants to save those that have those challenges. Are you guys still with me here? Last couple of insights and we'll bring it home. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, we know that Abraham went to the mountain. The Bible teaches it. We also know that in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham was called to sacrifice his one and only son. God says, not only go to the mountain, you got to sacrifice the closest thing to you, your son, Isaac. Dare we say it was the Isaac challenge. The Isaac challenge. And now it comes for those that do want to go to the mountain. For those that want to go to the mountain, you need to be willing to take the Isaac challenge. You need to be willing to sacrifice that which is closest to you. That which is closest to you. And of course, the Bible teaches that Abraham took Isaac up there. He got ready to to kill his son and, and he literally was going to do it. He was going to kill it. And then God sent the ram. The, the Bible says the Lord provided the ram. Abraham had no idea the Lord was going to provide a ram. It wasn't logical to him. It didn't make sense. He obeyed the word of God. And he did it. And what he thought was what we're going to read here in Hebrews chapter 11. It says in verse 8, By faith Abraham, when called to go to the place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Verse 17, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He had received the promise, he had received the promise, was about to sacrifice his son, his one and only son, even though he had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Amen? Amen. So Abraham thought, okay, I don't know how this is... Okay, you want me to kill my son? Wow, that's a testing of faith. Okay, you are God and you love me. You want to save me. I'm going to trust that. Abraham had a trusting faith. Do you have a trusting faith? You're not going to get everything matched on up. Life isn't this cookie cutter, box ticking style of life where you just tick all the boxes and it all makes sense. And being a Christian isn't that way. Sometimes it doesn't need to be that way. Sometimes if you know too much, it will hurt your faith. And so Abraham was told, you you don't need to just just go to the mountain, just do it. And and the Lord provided the son. Abraham had faith that God would raise him from the dead. That's where his faith was at. And so we got to ask ourselves today, who are you going to be? You're going to be a man of faith? A woman of faith? You're going to be like Abraham or are we going to be like Lot? Abraham decided, listen, I don't have it all figured out, but I know enough. And I'm going to obey the Lord. And the Lord will provide all the other answers. The Lord will provide. He had a trusting faith. See, you can't go to the mountain unless you have a trusting faith. You can't go to the mountain unless you're willing to take the Isaac challenge. You can't go to the mountain. 
You won't live your destiny. God's got a fantastic destiny for you. But that destiny comes with a great sacrifice. He sacrifices one and only son. And we need to be willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to see our destiny. Now, we got our, our missions contribution coming up in 60 days. In six, amen? And of course, that is our chance to take the Isaac challenge. Isn't it going to be glorious when the London International Christian Church has a thousand members in it? Isn't it going to be glorious when we have our own teen service, where we have all young people preaching the word, not just this old guy who's got a bald head here? It's going to be glorious. It's going to be awesome when we can have some, some, some marriage retreats here in the church. Where the marrieds can spend time together and kind of go away and be married. And we can talk like marriage do and not say, well, we got singles in the house. Amen. It's going to be great when we have that Lazarus ministry. And we truly are impacting the world. But you know what? It's going to take finances. It's going to take all of us Saying, I've been called to have a destiny here in London. I need to take the Isaac Challenge financially. Because here in the church, we don't use money to go to some building that we build. No, we put the money into young people. To put them on staff, so that they can go out and reach out and preach the word of God. And we got a, cha- we got a challenge. We, we, we got to decide whether we want to be Lot, spiritually, and stay in Zoar. Or we want to be Abraham, and go to the mountain. God's purpose God's heart is to save the world. To save the world. God's judgment is no joke. And God has a fantastic destiny for all of us. He wants us to go to the mountain, not to Zoar. To God be the glory. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H .org.uk And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events, or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one.